Welcome to the Eclectic Highway. My name is Kelly Senecal, and today we're talking about future fuels in the context of the U.S. DOE's Cooptima project. For this topic, I asked Gina Fioroni from the National Renewable Energy Laboratory to come on the show. Now, this discussion gets a bit technical, but it's filled with great information about the challenges in adopting new fuels. Also, make sure you listen to the end of the discussion. Gina has a very impressive fun fact that she shares with us. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. So Gina, for listeners who are not familiar with you and your work, can you talk a bit about your background? Yes, definitely. Um, I work for the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in Golden, Colorado. I'm in the Fuels and Combustion Sciences group under Bob McCormick. Um, I'm sure several of your listeners have heard about Bob. Um, I've been at NREL for the past almost 11 years now. Um, and prior to that, I worked in a completely different industry in pharmaceuticals, and I did that for about eight years. Uh, a majority of that time was with Mylan Pharmaceuticals. Uh, a little bit about my educational background is I have a um, master's degree in organic chemistry from the University of Vermont. Uh, so I started out my career not really focused on fuels and engines, but ultimately my career path has led me to where I am now. That's actually really interesting. So how, if you don't mind me, mind me asking, how did you go from pharmaceuticals to fuels and engines? So it's really interesting. Um, I had been working in pharmaceuticals for quite a while, and it was really interesting work. Um, but my neighbor actually worked at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, and he was telling me that they needed a chemist with my sort of background. And so I was kind of looking for a different opportunity anyway, and I applied to NREL, and they got back to me, and I did my interview with Bob, and it just sounded really interesting and a new, a new and exciting opportunity for me. And so I took the job and haven't looked back since then. Wow, that's a cool story. Um, so how are you doing you know, these days? And, and I, I've asked this question to all of my guests and every time I say, you know, I hope I don't have to ask this question too much longer, but, you know, we do have the COVID-19 kind of pandemic situation still, and it has affected all of us in different ways. How has it changed your life during these last few months? Um, well, it's definitely been different. Uh, like many folks, um, I'm working from home as much as possible. Um, that's obviously required a lot of changes. I'm mostly an experimental person, so I work in the lab a lot, and I haven't been able to really go into the lab as much. Um, so that's been definitely challenging for me. Uh, also challenging was the death by virtual meetings that seemed to ensue uh, right after we started working from home. Um, <laughs> but now I'm sort of sort of in a groove and I've been able to focus on uh, writing a lot more and I've made a lot of progress on some journal articles and other things that I've been working on that have sort of been collecting dust um, on my desk. Yeah, that's a really common theme that I've been hearing from lots of people that I've been talking to. And for me as well, I always procrastinate when I have something to write. And so this has really given me some time, you know, to work on things that have been on the back burner for quite a while. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on my show is to talk about future fuels. Now, we've covered a lot of topics so far on this podcast, but we haven't touched too much yet on fuels. And I know that you are involved in a DOE project that's really all about matching fuels and engines, and it's the Cooptima project. Can you first describe the project more from a big picture standpoint and then talk about your specific involvement? 
Yes, definitely. Um, from a big picture perspective, Cooptima is about uh, optimizing engines for efficiency and emissions, while at the same time optimizing uh, the fuel that we're using to have properties that allow for more efficient engine designs. And what this ultimately means in practice is that we're learning a lot about how to relate fuel molecular, molecular structure um, to fuel properties like octane number and um, about how fuel properties can be leveraged to produce more efficient engine designs. Uh, we're also learning how to manufacture fuels that are designed with various kind, um, from various kinds of biomass. And as part of this program, we have collaborations with researchers at several national labs and universities that really bring together folks with a wide variety of backgrounds. Um, and what this does is it allows us to combine the expertise of numerous researchers to work on this sort of complex problem. Um, my specific involvement is more on a molecular structure property side than on fuel production or engine combustion. Um, as I mentioned, my background is in organic chemistry. So sort of what I bring to the table is more of a fuel chemistry perspective from a fundamental level. Uh, the main project that I'm involved in is really focused on revealing the underlying physical chemistry behind different phenomena such as nonlinear blending effects or understanding soot precursor uh, formation. Uh, for this, we utilize a bench scale flow reactor system to examine skeletal reaction mechanisms. And these can be used to validate um, these different mechanisms or to interrogate soot precursor formation. Um, in addition, we're also trying to understand the chemical basis for this nonlinear blending phenomena by observing the different chemical species that are responsible for shutting down uh, lower intermediate temperature autoignition of the most reactive species in, say, in gasoline. And so that's kind of my specific uh, contribution to the overall project. Well, that's very cool. So let's talk more about fuels and how you go about matching them to an engine. So what properties are most important and how do you determine the best fuels? Well, this actually really depends on the kind of engine. So for like a spark ignition engine, higher efficiency comes from things like increasing compression ratio or maybe engine downsizing, for example. Um, in order for these engine designs to work, you need fuels with a higher research octane number or um, also a high octane sensitivity, which is the sensitivity of the octane number to the temperature. Um, but of course, the fuel must have appropriate properties to be a gasoline. Uh, for example, it needs to have the appropriate boiling point range, for example. Uh, for diesel engines, there's a different sort of list of properties as these fuels are quite different from gasoline. Um, at the beginning of the Cooptima projects, one of the first things we did was we reached out to the engine experts, and we really sought out their advice in determining which fuel properties were critical for different combustion strategies. And then we kind of reached out to the folks on the fuel production side, those experts, and said, you know, what sort of molecules are you producing from biomass? And we asked them for that list of molecules. And then what we want to do from there is ultimately we want to match the desired fuel properties that enable these different specific engine designs with the appropriate molecules. Um, for gasoline, as I, as I mentioned, important properties include having a high uh, RON or S. So um, another thing that might be advantageous is a high heat of vaporization because that can help enable direct injection engines by providing a cooling effect. Um, 
On the diesel side, a high cetane number is very desirable, along with, say, molecules that can reduce uh, particulate matter or NOx emissions. And we also want to make sure that these molecules are environmentally friendly and compatible with current infrastructure. Um, We don't want to put something highly toxic or carcinogenic, you know, like benzene and gasoline. That wouldn't be good. Um, I'm sure most folks remember tetraethyl lead. You know, we want to avoid anything that's really bad. Um, We also need to find things, too, that won't destroy like the seals or other materials in your in your car or the infrastructure like gasoline pumps. Um, You definitely don't want like the seals in your car dissolving by putting something in the fuel that destroys those. Um, going to have going to have some problems if you do that. Yeah, definitely. So lots of different things to consider. Um, are these biofuels that you're talking about? And if so, how are they produced? Uh, yeah, for the most part, the fuels that are being researched under the Cooptima program are biofuels, and they're definitely produced by a very wide range of approaches. Um, for example, fermentation of biomass-derived sugar, or fermentation to produce an intermediate um, that might then be catalytically converted to a desired biofuel. Um, There's also chemical approaches that don't involve an organism like fermentation. Um, Ultimately, the main goal in all of this is to minimize energy inputs in fuel production from the biomass so that the fuels are really a truly low net carbon. Uh, So in short, yes, these are biofuels, and there's a lot of research going on um, involving different production routes for fuels. Okay, and I think you're also developing an online fuel database, which I think is really cool because I come from the modeling side of things. And so whatever fuels, you know, you guys come up with in Cooptima, I want to be able to model those. So I need the liquid properties, and we'll talk about chemical kinetics as well kind of later in the interview. But can you talk a little bit about your online fuel database And how is that being developed and how is that being used? Sure, no problem. Um, I mentioned before that we, you know, when we started this project out, we reached out to the engine experts as well as the experts that are producing these biomass-derived fuels. Um, And then what we did was we developed this fuel property database where we entered this list of molecules. And then we took um, the critical fuel properties of interest that were relayed to us from the engine experts and we started populating this database um, with those different properties. And the database was really meant to kind of catalog the list of potential molecules along with their fuel properties. And in this way, we could keep track of any of these proposed molecules and, of course, all the data that we were collecting over time. Um, And this database is open to the public. It's also fully searchable. So, for example, let's say someone says, hey, I want to find all the molecules with a very high research octane number, anything over, say, 100. Um, They could log into the database, and then they can go search on this property or any of the other properties in there, and they can export a list of those molecules that meet these properties, and that goes into an Excel format, and then they can save it and keep it. So um, hopefully it's really useful to researchers that are looking for molecules that meet certain specifications. Um, And kind of the way we've used this database is to implement a tiered screening approach to find molecules that meet desired fuel properties that enable the different combustion strategies of interest that are being investigated in Cooptima. So currently our database has over 400 molecules in it. So um, when we're doing research on this, we obviously want to narrow this list down. So 
This tiered screening approach allowed us to take this list of hundreds of molecules and narrow it down to some of the most promising ones. So for example, in like tier one screening, we use properties such as melting and boiling point to find you know, which of these candidate molecules fit within the gasoline or diesel range. And then we ask the question, you know, can it be fuel and can it be used as gasoline or diesel? Because obviously it has to burn, right? You're not going to put water in your engine. Um, <laughs> in tier two, we're really asking, okay, which of these would enable more efficient engine operation or reduce emissions? So for example, for gasoline, I mentioned this previously, the high RON and S is, is really desirable. So we were able to further reduce down this list of hundreds of molecules down to tens of molecules, and then those could then undergo the next stage of research, um, so we don't have to investigate everything. And then in a more tier three style, we're looking at moving towards performing engine testing, which is much more involved, um, more, it costs a lot more money to run these engine tests, and it also requires a much larger volume of um, fuel. So. One thing I maybe should have mentioned at the beginning is that, you know, when you're developing a biofuel early on in the process, you might only have a very small volume of this fuel available for research. So being able to identify if this, you know, fuel they're producing is promising using only a very small volume, that's very highly desirable. And so that way we can tell folks, you know, this doesn't look good, you know, abandon that process, don't look at that. But then if it looks really great, we can say, hey, let's look at ways to produce this fuel in larger volumes, and then we can investigate it further. That's really cool. So I do have a question, an additional question about your fuel database. Do you have, if I wanted to look up, say, properties such as surface tension, um, heat of vaporization, density, as, you know, as a function of temperature, pressure, things like that, is that available for these different, for these different fuels? So we do have surface tension density, those properties in the database. Um, currently, we report those at one temperature in pressure, typically. Okay. Um, so if you were looking at, at it across a range, um, it's something we can measure, but we don't put those, we don't have that data actually in the database. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, because we do, when we, when we simulate these fuels in CFD, right, we, we typically input these properties as a function of temperature, uh, sometimes pressure as well, but definitely as a function of temperature. So maybe in the future we can, we can look at that. So that's really, that's really cool. So I, I definitely want to check out that online fuel database. Um, you actually alluded to this already in one of my previous questions, but I want to see if there's anything else that you want to cover here. So other than performance in an engine, which is obvious, what other considerations have to be made when you're evaluating the potential market adoption of a fuel? Um, yeah, so as, as you said, I mentioned um, toxicity and biodegradability are important. The question of whether or not it can be fuel. Um, we don't want to put something that's solid at room temperature into our engine because um, obviously we're going to have problems doing that. So, you know, some of the other factors that are important are things like um, impact on emissions or performance of emissions catalyst systems like cold start light off, for example. Um, and again, I'm not an engine expert, but we do collaborate with several folks that are, and we can easily reach out to these folks for advice as, as needed. Um, other considerations, of course, involve regulatory factors. Uh, we have ASTM, which has fuel specification standards that have to be met. Um, we have folks like Teresa Alleman, whom I work with, and she's heavily involved in ASTM. Um, the cost of production of the fuel can be obviously very important. 
Um, again, not my area of expertise, but we do have several folks that are very knowledgeable that are working in this area. And lastly, well, I guess maybe not lastly because safety first, but for diesel in particular, the flashpoint of the fuel is quite important because we want to ensure that we have safe handling and storage um, as well as transport of the fuel. We obviously don't want to have any fires or uh, explosions, although, you know, this is why I became a chemist was to, you know, blow things up, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So that's some awesome background on this. And I, I've actually learned a lot already so far, but I'm really curious now, what are the most promising fuels that you've come up with so far? Um, so, so far in Cooptima, we've really had a heavy focus on boosted spark ignition and mixing controlled compression ignition. Um, moving forward, you know, we're going to be doing some work on some advanced compression ignition stat strategies. Um, as part of the program, we really did try to identify different multiple functional groups of promising candidates so that we could really gain an understanding of what's going on from a molecular structure point of view and how we can correlate that to engine performance. Um, so we really did find this wide range of molecules that cover anything from alcohols and alkenes to ethers and esters, that, um, and they can all be promising depending on the particular combustion strategy that you're um, trying to enable. So for example, for boosted spark ignition, um, alcohols do show a lot of promise and there's several reasons for that. Uh, for the most part, alcohols tend to have that high research octane number and sensitivity that I've mentioned. Um, they also have a high heat of vaporization and can provide in-cylinder cooling for direct injection engines. Um, they also tend to be fairly non-toxic and environmentally friendly and they're certainly compatible with the current infrastructure. Um, obviously, we already have ethanol and gasoline, so um, it meets regular, regulatory requirements and, and everything else. So another property of alcohols is um, they do tend to blend non-linearly, which means that they boost the octane of the gasoline to a higher RON than would be expected based on a linear blending model. And you know, this really allows you to get a higher boost in RON while blending in less volume of the blend stock. Um, so alcohols are definitely very promising. But besides alcohols, there's definitely some more exotic fuels, um, if you will, that, that show promise. Um, one in particular is dimethylfuran. Um, it's, a, it's a furan ring, and this molecule shows the highest nonlinear blending of any molecule that we've looked at so far under the Cooptima program. Um, this is followed by fuels that, say, have a double bond, uh, which are alkenes in their structure. Um, we do have one molecule that we're investigating that's called prenol. And this molecule is very interesting because it contains both the alcohol and double bond moiety in its structure. And so we've really, you know, we've really learned a lot as part of this research and understanding how these various functional groups can enable um, spark ignition engines. Um, on the MCCI side, I would say esters and ethers have proved quite promising. Um, as with gasoline and ethanol, we already do have esters. Um, you know, we have biodiesel in this, in, out in the uh, infrastructure. Uh, ethers are pretty highly desirable because they tend to burn very cleanly and they could reduce particle emissions. So that's one thing we're really looking into. Um, they also tend to have a really high cetane number, which is, which is beneficial. Um, one interesting thing that we did learn um, in looking at MCCI is that we don't really see 
a high degree of nonlinear blending in diesel fuels like we saw with gasoline. So that was kind of interesting. And then as far as advanced compression ignition, um, this is really just getting underway in Cooptima right now. And so we're working closely with the engine folks and on identifying these different important fuel properties and then finding these candidate molecules by screening the database um, to map these to the different ACI engine strategies that might be important. So definitely stay, stay tuned for more on this in the future, for sure. Yeah, and I'll definitely keep track of of, of this work. I'm 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 excited about the Cooptima work. To be honest, I think it's I think it's a great project, and it really brings together, like you said, engine experts with fuel experts and and lots of different expertise to kind of attack this problem. So I think I think it's I think it's very exciting. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm a CFD guy, so I do or my company you know produces um, computational fluid dynamics for engine simulations and other applications as well. So the first thing I think of when you talk about a new fuel or a different fuel is is there a chemical mechanism available for this? Because if I'm going to do combustion modeling of that fuel, I need to be able to represent the chemistry fairly accurately in my CFD simulation. So is there work being done to make sure that we have appropriate kinetics to model these fuels? Oh, absolutely. We, um, we have an extensive collaboration with the folks at Lawrence Livermore National Lab um, and Bill Pitts' team on this. Um, we also have folks here at uh, NREL performing quantum mechanical simulations to help us understand the fuel chemistry effects we're seeing. I mentioned that nonlinear blending in gasoline was important. Um, but it's also not really well understood. Well, I guess I should back up. For ethanol, um, there's a good chemical mechanism for ethanol, and it's been around for a bit. So we do understand that pretty well, and we do understand how it works from a nonlinear blending standpoint. Um, But I mentioned before that dimethylfuran and prenol, those were promising molecules that we found for gasoline blending. Um, And what we also found is that we don't really understand why these blend so non-linearly. Um, so it's important to understand, you know, why, how is this happening? Um, also, if we try to take the chemical com- chem- kinetic models, let me try to start that over. <laughs> We've also found that the kinetic models, like to predict blending RON for dimethylfuran and prenol, um, they really don't predict it well at all. So we need a way to find out, you know, which pathways are missing and how can we update those models so that they do more accurately predict this blending research octane number. Um, so I would definitely say this is a current area of extensive research and probably the area that I'm most deeply involved in right now. Um, I've also worked with Lawrence Livermore on more large, larger scale kinetic model models by providing um, flow reactor data, and they can utilize that data to update their kinetic model, models for like the pure components and things like that. Um, and just in addition, a team here at NREL that's led by Sona Kim, uh, she's really working on understanding soot precur- precursor formation mechanisms. And by combining her team's expertise with flow reactor experiments, we can start to really understand the molecular structures that lead to reduced soot or even increase it so that we can avoid those sort of chemical structures. Uh, so I guess the long answer is, is yes. We uh, we definitely have a lot of work going on in this area. 
That's that's great to hear. And yeah, I'm I'm very familiar with uh, Bill Pitts and the group at Lawrence Livermore as well, and they they do great work. So um, that sounds exciting, and I look forward to possibly simulating some of these new fuels in the future. So. You know, there's a lot of talk, and this is kind of um, one of the major points of my podcast, is engines still have a lot of room for growth, still have a lot of room to get cleaner and more efficient, and the future is not just electric, right? So part of that is we have to keep cleaning up engines, and we have to reduce their greenhouse gases and also their criteria pollutants. How do these fuels, what sort of potential do these fuels have to reduce CO2, reduce soot and NOx, you know, CO, unburned hydrocarbon, all these different emissions that we're worried about, what potential do these fuels have? Um, I would say as far as criteria pollutants, we're mainly trying to select fuels that don't make the problem of catalytic conversion of pollutants harder, so kind of no negative effects. And as far as, say, greenhouse gases, um, we're generally targeting um, the advanced biofuels uh, under the renewable fuel standards. So those with greater than 60% greenhouse gas reduction relative to petroleum on a life cycle basis. And quite honestly, this is definitely not my area of expertise, but there is a large team within Cooptima that is definitely working on all aspects of this. And there would be someone much better suited to answer that question than that, than I. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. And I, maybe I'll have that person on as a future guest. But I know, and from what I've read, and I, I do kind of keep up with the Cooptima project um, somewhat. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of work being done in this area, and and I think I think we're going to get some really good stuff out of this project. Um, speaking of, okay, so now let's move on from the Cooptima. Or maybe it is within the Cooptima umbrella, but do you have any projects coming up, you know, different from what you've already talked about, that our listeners might be interested in learning about? Uh, sure. You know, one main thing that I'm working on now is um, our current flow reactor system is only able to operate at atmospheric pressure. So um, it's given us really a lot of interesting data, but it would be much more beneficial if we had the ability to operate at elevated pressures um, that are more engine relevant. Um, So we're getting ready to bring a system online that can go up to uh, 10 atmospheres, and hopefully this will be done in the next uh, month or so. Um, It has been quite delayed um, so far, just due obviously to the situation of not being able to be in the lab as often. Um, I also mentioned that I have a lot of work going on on nonlinear blending and understanding that. And really, we think that this um, hydroxyl radical scavenging is really important in understanding this and maybe some peroxide intermediates that are really not stable species. They're, they're intermediate species. And with our current system, we're not able to actually detect or measure any of these transient species. So we're working on developing an in-situ spectroscopy system that can detect and measure these different transient species. So I think that if we can get that going, it'll be really, really interesting. And I'm really looking forward and exciting and excited about bringing that system online. Um, and then sort of another thing I work on is uh, azeotropic behavior and heat of vaporization. And so... Um, that, that project is also under Cooptima, but not one that I discussed here. But we have a differential scanning calorimetry 
um, simultaneous uh, thermogravimetric analysis system that we have coupled to a mass spectrometer. And so we're able to look at the different evaporation effects of components in gasoline and how they're affected by not just alcohols, but other co-optima molecules that we're investigating. And we can simultaneously measure their heat release um, as well as using the mass spectrometer to identify where these different species are evolving in the evaporation process. So that's another project that um, I'm working on that's really interesting. Um, and of course, you know, you can never have enough time in your, in your week to do everything you want to do. But those are the things that, I, that I'm working on and I'm looking forward to future data coming out of them. Yeah, I feel like I just got a chemistry lesson. <laughs> a lot of big words in that description. No, I kind of followed some of it. Um, but yeah, that's very cool. And, you know, the more of this type of information, you know, again, being a modeler, the more of this sort of data, new data, new techniques and things like that we can get access to, the better we can actually make our models as well. So I appreciate, I definitely appreciate all of these experimental uh, projects. So we're kind of, all, well, we are almost done with our interview now. I do want to ask one more question though. And I ask this to all of my guests. So you may, you may know it's coming, but I want to end on a lighter note and I want to know if you're comfortable talking about it, what is one fun fact about you that our listeners might not be aware of? Um, well, those who know me really well probably do know that I'm a pretty avid runner and hiker. Um, so I've run a lot of really crazy races. Um, I ran a marathon in all 50 states, which um, there are other folks who've done it, but um, wow! I thought that was kind of a cool thing. Um, my 50th one was actually during the Boston Marathon bombing, which was quite interesting. So, Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up going back the following year and uh, finishing out my marathon in all 50 states. Um, Can that, I ask how long it took? How long did it take you to, to do 50 to do a marathon in all 50 states? Uh, it took me about four years to do them all. So Only not, four years? Only four years. <laughs> wow. I feel like I need to start exercising. Okay. <laughs> um, Sorry, go ahead. You're, no, you're no, still... no worries. I mean, this, and this led me to, you know, other long distance races of, you know, 100 miles or more. Um, a lot of times I get the comment from people that tell me, you know, I don't even like to drive that far. I don't understand how you could run a hundred miles or they say, wait, is that all in one day? Do you eat while you do this? And it's like, yes, yeah. I, I definitely eat. I still, I still have to fuel. Um, You're right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so Speaking I have, of fuel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I do have this, um, sort of ultra marathon crazy side of me. Um, and also one other thing living in Colorado is um, I've been working on hiking or climbing all of the 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. So wow. there's 58 of those and I have done 49 of them so far. So I'm hoping to do the last uh, nine this summer, hopefully. That's incredible. So they're talking about, right, making Washington, D.C. the 51st state. At least I've read something on the news about that. So I guess you may have one more marathon to run. Oh, yeah, sure. I might. I might. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Very cool. That that is very impressive. That may be that's just as impressive as the as the chemistry work that you do, I think. Um, so thank you very much, Gina. This has been really cool for me. And I actually learned quite a bit here. 
I really hope that you enjoyed it. I did. I really enjoyed um, the interview. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it for this episode of The Eclectic Highway. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the show. It's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or you can grab the RSS feed or listen directly at eclectichighway.com. And be sure to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at Eclectic Highway, on Instagram, at The Eclectic Highway, and you can follow me on LinkedIn, Peter Kelly Senecal. We'll see you next time, guys, and remember... The future is eclectic. Mm-hmm.